1: on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel. Carol is Executive Director of the Wellmed Charitable Foundation. She's been named by Next Avenue, one of the top 50 influencers on aging. She has a master's degree in social gerontology from the University of the Incarnate Word and a graduate of uh, Trinity University as well. Carol is a member of the Rays Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health in Human Services, and it's a delight once again to see Carol and talk with her. Hey, Carol.
2: Good afternoon.
1: So is the RAISE Council going to continue working under the uh, Biden administration?
2: We are. We have been working under the Biden administration since January. Uh, the work continues. There's been a a report that's about ready to go to Congress for the for the first part of, of the work with recommendations. Uh, and then there's the a plan to build out to implement. So lots going on.
1: Cool, that's really cool. Well, one of the things that uh, well, over the years since we've been doing Caregiver SOS on air that's come through in bits and pieces was your work as a long distance caregiver for family members, for an aunt, for your mom, and now for your dad as well. And it it was intriguing to me, at least to wonder how that works. And if we can share some tips for folks who may be in the same boat, either as a caregiver here and a long distance caregiver family member is elsewhere, or maybe you're the long distance caregiver. And my only experience was uh, my brother who took over caregiving for my mom and dad in Cleveland, Ohio. I was living here in San Antonio and still do. And I remember at one point, I called my brother and I said, you know, I got an idea about something that maybe would be helpful for mom. And he said, well, hang on before you go into detail, I'll get her on a plane to San Antonio this afternoon and we'll have all her stuff and you can take over. And I said, Jimmy, I'll tell you what, I'm going to hold that thought and you can continue doing the fabulous job that you were doing. And I never again offered a suggestion. And I don't know about your situation, Carol, but I know your sister's been uh, hearing a lot of the. uh heavy lifting. So talk to us about long distance caregiving.
2: Well, you know, I think that you've really hit uh, kind of the nail on the head in terms of myself and any family member, anytime you're the, on the caregiving team, but you're not the primary caregiver. You're not the one that's there in person. If there is one in person, right? So there's two kinds of long distance caregivers. One of them is in the supportive role um, like I am in this particular situation and, and was with my mother, um, and the other is when there's no one really at home, and you're doing all the caregiving long distance because mom or dad or whoever it is um, lives by themselves still. And so when when you're in the supportive role, you you know you've got to recognize you're not the star. <laughs> you know, right? You're gonna you're not gonna get the big Academy Award for caregiving, and you need to let the person that is the primary on site, just like your brother was telling you. Um, yeah you might actually have a better idea, but you're not on the ground uh and so you don't get to call all of the shots uh unless you have a really unusual relationship i mean that's just fair
1: and it was a lesson that I fortunately picked up on pretty quickly uh but it's also is it not a an area for stress and tension in that kind of relationship Let's deal for the uh, first with the situation where there is a caregiver. Uh, and you're the long-distance, most often a relative, a brother, sister, aunt, uncle. Talk a little bit about that because that's what you've been doing with your sister.
2: Right. So, you know, with the, with the care that we provided, um, you know, my mother, we, in the supportive role, I'm really, I, I think that the, the long-distance caregiver support is to be that person that primarily is listening So everybody's going to hit a wall, everybody's going to have a bad day, and you want to provide that unconditional support so that if the person that's the primary caregiver has had it with the person they're caregiving, they're angry, they're frustrated, uh, things aren't going well, you know, you've got to be able to sit back and listen and take all of that anger and anxiety and stress because I mean, what better gift is there? And sometimes that's kind of where you've got to get your head uh, is that you can, as Jamie, Dr. Jamie would say, bear witness to that person's anger and their pain. Uh, because they're, you know, think of a, somebody that has cancer and uh, you're taking care of somebody with cancer, how painful that is to watch a person going through all of those medical procedures and the decline and the fear, um, you know. A listening ear, and I, and I also tell that to our caregiver teams never underestimate the power of sitting and listening, non judgmental, and allowing that person to express all those emotions, even if it's difficult for you to hear them.
1: Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co host, and today our guest is Carol Zernial, and we're talking about long distance caregiving. Uh, either where there is someone providing the care and you're the long distance part of that, or there's no one back home uh, and you're filling all of those roles. Now in in your situation, living here in San Antonio, uh, you would still take time to go out and, and, and visit uh, your mom and your dad.
2: Right. So um, I think it's great if you have the ability. I mean, that's another thing is sort of dividing up the responsibilities uh, and and that. might look like maybe you're going to help pay for respite. Maybe you're going to pay for takeout meals to reduce the burden of cooking. Uh, And so it could be monetary. Uh, It could be simply connecting expertise. Maybe uh, you help arrange, identify people. Uh, either workers, uh, geriatric care managers, adult daycare centers, you can help find the resources. So online, you know, your online search is going to look just like online search of someone who lives in town. So how is it that you can provide the support? And then if it's at all possible, can you be the respite so that that primary caregiver can actually take a vacation? take a week or two off or however long that somebody else can be there so that they really get that long break from caregiving.
1: And and they can have the satisfaction and, and trust of knowing that uh, you're there caring for their loved one.
2: That's right. And and the benefit of that is with my mother with Alzheimer's in particular, you know, I got a chance to spend time with her, uh, to get to know her and to to share you know, that part of her life, even though not all of it was pleasant, but, you know, we, we created our own memories, uh, when she had Alzheimer's and I was able to better understand what was going on in that primary caregiving situation with my father and my sister, uh, by being there on occasion. And, and I would go and they would, sometimes they would both go on vacation, right? So it's just me and my mom together and the rest of the family is gone that lived in town. They would just go and and take some time off. So I really value that experience and and see that as a positive for me.
1: One of the things I've heard you say, and it's really great advice, uh, is to live in the moment in which uh, your mother was. Uh, Whatever her, I'm using the term fantasy, but whatever she believed was happening, uh, that's where you went.
2: Right. And and particularly someone with Alzheimer's. But I think that's true of any situation is actually thinking about what would they enjoy right now, Um, whether it's taking a walk, whether it's listening to music, whether it's, you know, putting around in the garden. Maybe it's, you know, doing some chores around the house. What makes that person feel comfortable? Uh, Sometimes my mother, who never liked, I mean, she never watched golf before she had Alzheimer's, she loved to watch golf on TV. And she would say, "What? where is that show? Where's that show? And she was talking about a golf tournament. I don't know, it's because right. it's so easy. One ball guy hits it, goes in the <laughs> bin. Maybe it's the green grass. I'm really not sure. But she loved to watch golf. Uh, and that was something that I would sit and, and do with her because she enjoyed that, um, even if it wasn't something that I really would have guessed that she would have liked going into it.
1: Well, if I can digress for a moment, I laughed so hard and still laugh about it. The Women's Charitable Foundation, which uh, you're executive director of, holds an annual, except when it's COVID, but it's coming again, golf tournament. And I remember the first tournament, you and I were talking and you said, you know, I don't play golf. I've never really been on a golf course. And so we got in the golf cart and drove
2: around. That's right. We we're both learning to drive the golf cart. You know, that was one yeah. of the situations where I don't think either one of us had ever been in a golf cart uh, before. And it was true. I had never been on a golf course until I was in charge of a tournament uh, and had no idea what was going on. Well, now, I'm it's glad it's back this year. I'm glad it's back <laughs> this year. So that's great. It is back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And
1: I'm, I'm delighted that your mom liked watching golf on television because I, I, I love watching golf as well. Uh, And and one of the points you made is really true. You just have to follow that one white ball and there's a lot of green grass.
2: Right. You know, movies were gone. Movies and TV shows that had a plot and you had to know who was who. Those those became too complicated. Uh, And so, you know, and and, and it it doesn't have to be dementia, but really kind of I I think I, uh, I think of the lady from the dementia village that talked about her goal was every day to have you know, the person that was receiving care uh, laugh and say, I had a good day to laugh and smile one time a day, and if you were to ask them to think, you know, I had a good day, or at least I had a good moment that day. If all of us can have a moment where we smiled and laughed every day, and we know that from COVID, right? We didn't smile and laugh every day the past 14 months. No, we didn't. Um, and we so didn't. Th- that, you know, that's another worthwhile goal, uh, is, is living in that moment and, and just, you know, making those live in the now. What do you want to eat now? What do you want to watch now? What can you do? And stop playing, you know, games. Um, When I say games, I mean, you know, it was particularly with somebody with Alzheimer's where, come on, you can remember this, you can do it, Uh, it, which is very frustrating for the person. It'd be more fun to make up something, make up a story. And, and, And sometimes it can be going way, way back. You know, Some people really enjoy kind of reminiscing. It's very therapeutic to talk about their childhood, to talk about their family when they were growing up or their best friends or their school teachers. So just kind of going with the subject the person wants to talk about can be very therapeutic.
1: We're going to come back to this in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial is not only our co-host, but our guest today on Caregiver SOS on Air. A delight to have you with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for being with us here on Caregiver SQS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zorniel, is our guest as well today as we talk about long-distance caregiving, either where there is a caregiver back home with your loved one and you live in another city, as was Carol's situation, or you live in another city and uh, the person for whom you are caregiving is alone and you're trying to do it all long-distance, which I, I have to imagine is really, really tough. So, Carol, for people who are long-distance caregivers and there's nobody back home, that's an incredible challenge.
2: Well, it can be, and it really depends on the situation. So there may be a time period, and, and maybe it works over the long term, where you can periodically you know, show up, buy groceries, put things in the freezer, help get the person organized, um, call every day. And arrange appointments long distance. So there, there's a lot you can do now, particularly with the internet and online scheduling, and and conference calls and video chats. I mean, the world got a lot easier for the long distance caregiver over the COVID period because suddenly telemedicine. Um, I've been in telemedicine visits uh, before with uh, you know some of my relatives uh, in the recent, you know, just during COVID. So. Using the technology to help you get organized. I mean, there's just there's a lot you can do now, long distance. Um, but probably you are going to have to show up, and every once in a while. And if you can't do that, then I really do encourage families. If you've got a loved one who's living alone and needs support, to have a geriatric care manager in that community, kind of in your hip pocket. Maybe you don't need them all the time, but if you don't have a family member or a friend, I'm talking really you don't have anybody else, and you need a professional to make sure things are really okay, that's a great person to have. If, if you've got a, a next-door neighbor, and a lot of us get by with the next-door neighbor or the lady down the street who brings an occasional meal and checks on the house and makes sure the mail's been picked up, and will call you um, if they notice something is amiss. Uh, when my mother-in-law was living alone and she had Alzheimer's, it was the neighbors that really let us know when something uh, was really amiss. The newspapers were still in the yard or the car was gone um, and she'd been gone for several hours uh, and, wow. and we knew that that might, might be a problem. So you, you, know, you really, long distance caregivers probably have a family member or a friend To help you. And if you don't have that, then line up some professional help. It doesn't have to be really expensive, uh, but can be there if you need it. And somebody can be there for those emergency calls in this, you know, right now.
1: Now, how do you find a geriatric care manager?
2: Well, I always call the area agency on aging in a community when i 'm looking for professional help because usually they can help identify those professional geriatric care managers that they know from the community uh, people that have resources usually can pay for you know hours, uh, but you can pay for an assessment, right? You can pay for an assessment just to kind of get a baseline. This is where my person is. This is what they need to help you think through the things. That, so you can make a plan for the person while they're living alone. And then they can also be an on-call person that you make arrangements that to be able to call them in case of an emergency.
1: We have a friend whose husband, he's 80 years old, broke a hip, a fracture to hip. Uh, and uh, she has been able to find some temporary daily help, three or four hours a day, but she's not able to transfer him. He's six well over two hundred pounds, uh, and and so that's a real challenge uh, for her uh, to try to get him into the bathroom, try to get him into bed, uh, try to get him around the house other than in his wheelchair, uh, and she's struggling with that.
2: Right, and and it may be that you have to hire some uh, a skilled. Organization like a home health company uh, to come in and do bathing and, and do some of that. But they're also like with my mother in law, someone finally had to move back and live with her. Uh, and, and like with my great aunt, somebody, you know, she eventually moved to assisted living. So having somebody on the ground for those urgent situations, but also keeping it in your head that at some point long distance caregiving is not going to be the long-term solution.
1: And in finding a, uh, a home, uh, whether it's assisted living or a full-scale nursing home, how do you do that long distance? It's almost an impossible challenge.
2: Well, there are organizations, again, uh, some people make their living by helping to find placement. There are organizations that do it at no cost. Uh, And so if you're looking for resources for caregiving and for older persons in any community, I mentioned the Area Agency on Aging. They have, uh, you can find yours if you don't know where it is. You simply go to uh, eldercare.acl.gov, and that's eldercare.acl. That stands for the Administration for Community Living.gov, plug in your zip code and you're going to get that area agency on aging right there automatically where you live, where you plugged it in for that zip code. And you can find all the resources. Oftentimes you can help find placement specialists. A lot of AAAs, area agencies on aging have the nursing home ombudsman in their office. And so they'll know who the placement agencies are in in the community. And they're just a great resource.
1: So don't be afraid to ask for help.
2: Don't be afraid to ask for help, and don't be afraid to ask the people in the community. If you don't live there, and even if you do, um, the Area Agency on Aging is a tremendous resource that you need to know uh, and have the phone number for or get online and and see their resource database because there are things you cannot know or don't know uh, about their resources in your community.
1: And what about new technologies that... Uh, let you put cameras, for example, into your loved one's house, uh, rather intrusive, but will give you a view of what's going on?
2: Well, uh, that's that's the question, um, is the choice of the person that lives there, right? Do they mind having cameras? And if they mind having cameras, there's always the uh, alert bracelet. There's always the emergency response system that you can install as a backup, and and that's a great long distance tool uh, if you're caregiving from another city is to have that alert bracelet because it's going to call nine one one in that community and send out somebody, uh, and and they can still call you out of town. They can say, hey, you know, your dad's alarm went off. Do you want us to go in? And you can say, yeah, he didn't call me, or let me call and hang on just a right. second. So the, those emergency response systems, they you may think, ha, 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 I fall and I can't get up. Isn't that quaint? No, they're terrific. They're not expensive. Uh, and they provide a lot of peace of mind with either that necklace or that bracelet or an app on your watch uh, that can help connect you to emergency services.
1: I recently bought a new Apple Watch. Uh, and uh, I was wrestling with the kids the other day, well, sort of, and, and uh, we were falling on the floor and what have you. And all of a sudden my watch went off and said, should I call 911? You look to be in trouble. <laughs> Verbally, it's, it said that to me. Uh, should I call 911? And you're you like, look yeah, to yeah, there you go. Trouble. See how easy yeah. that
2: was? You know, I was like, I was right. talking to somebody recently in, I don't have Alexa in my house and she was trying to talk to me about how she used Alexa. And she said, she started whispering because Alexa was listening and she didn't (laughs) want Alexa to turn on while she was talking about Alexa, which that's the reason I don't have Alexa. So cameras in the house are great. If the person that you're caring for thinks they're great and it has comprehension, understands exactly what that means. There are also sensors, smart house technology that will measure how many times did a person get up in the night? Where did they go in the house? Uh, and that way you can see if the person is active or if they've gone to the bathroom 20 times during the night. Maybe right. that's a medical concern for you.
1: Well, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. Uh, those sensors.
2: Yeah, all of the, the technology changes every year. It gets, more, it gets better to help you, but it also gets a little more intrusive uh, for those of you who are paranoid about some of the technology. But it can be very helpful for a long-distance caregiver.
1: Now, for somebody who is listening, who is about to become a caregiver, either long distance uh, or right here, wherever they happen to be living, what are some of the things they should be thinking about uh, before they take over that responsibility?
2: Well, I think they need to have eyes wide open and understand the situation uh, and understand what might happen to kind of develop a plan, because there are tremendous financial implications if you're going to quit a job and become a caregiver, if you quit uh, working and you're middle-aged, you're going to give up over $300,000 probably in salary and lost retirement benefits. And a lot of people do that because they love their mom, their dad, whoever it is that they are needing to care for without really thinking about the implication for themselves. Uh, and so can you financially do that? And then are you in person? Is it going to be long distance? How are you going to handle emergencies? What does this look like in the long term? You know, in, and really lining out the medical care, the legal issues, the financial issues, and then all of those supports that are needed in the home, which I, what, if you repeat those back, you'll find out that's a lot.
1: It is a lot. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, get familiar with your Area Agency on Aging.
2: That's right. Understanding what's available and what's not available. And sometimes we don't even know the questions to ask, which is why I like to talk to the Area Agency on Aging and just say, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a caregiver. You know, what's it like uh, in this community to get help for my loved one? And a lot of times they can tell you what's there and what's not there. If you're in a rural community, a small town, you may not have adult daycare as an option.
1: And then the other thing is understanding uh, if your loved one is on Medicare, what Medicare will cover and what it doesn't cover.
2: That's right. And and if you plan on or think the person is going to need to be on Medicaid because they might go into a nursing home, there's a look-back period of five years. I have a relative right now that's looking at that. Uh, and there are things that you do and you don't want to do that will disqualify your loved one for Medicaid so that those financial and legal issues, a good elder law attorney that can help you with estate planning, again, that's another investment that I believe is very worthwhile, Uh, even if you, you know, whatever you can get. uh, And I know it's not necessarily cheap, but it's money well invested if you can do it.
1: And let's pick up on something that you danced over. Medicare does not cover long-term care or long-term nursing home or assisted living.
2: Absolutely. Your choices are public pay or private pay. So your loved one either spends down to poverty, literally poverty, and goes on Medicaid, or it's private pay. Assisted living is going to run you around 5300 to 7000 and a nursing home is seven to 8000 a month. A month. A month.
1: And at that age, it's too late to get long-term care insurance.
2: Yeah, long-term care insurance is not going to cover you. If you're young, if you're in your 30s, investigate long-term care insurance. Uh, if you're middle-aged, it's going to be too expensive. It's better just to pocket money into savings uh, in some kind of a vehicle that can help pay for your long-term care when you get older.
1: Harold Zerniel, thank you. This has been fascinating. I appreciate it and appreciate your time. And on your behalf, let me say thank you to our audience as well. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air.